Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello, today I am joined by two guests from across the pond in New York City. They are the duo who founded The Voice Collective, a voice studio from which they deliver coaching specializing in body voice connection, musical theater, pop rock, rough vocal effects and cross genre. The pair were recently invited to present at Boston Conservatory's Vocal Pedagogy Professional Workshop, talking on topics of finding sustainability and authenticity in pop rock singing and navigating breath strategies for singers in musical theatre. A big welcome to you, Cassie Mikit and William Pajora. How are you both? Good. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We're doing so good. It's so, it's cloudy on this, um, what is it? Doesn't matter. This morning, but we're so happy to be here. It's so bright and shiny. Oh, great. It's, it's the same over here. And you know, I love the fall. I love autumn. It gets to that point where actually I feel more motivated. I kind of go off the radar in summer. I don't know about you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too hot to do anything. Fall is when we come out, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cassie, you both list cross genre as an area of your speciality as teachers. So can you just explain what that actually means in voice coaching? Um, to me, it can mean different things depending on the student that's in front of you. Um, but in general, it means that I can take a singer who is comfortable in a particular genre and help them find their footing in a new one. Hmm. And William, is that something that you also agree with? Is there something that you approach differently with that? No, I think it's all about, um, which something we're really big on is the student in front of you. So what is their, what is their background? What training are they coming in with? What genre do they like the best? What genre do they lean towards? And how can we help them navigate with their voice and the things that they want to do to kind of have a flexible technique so they can go back and forth between whatever genres they want to be successful in. Mm. And what are the benefits for a singer to be able to cross genre? I mean, there's first the obvious benefit of um, more possibility for work. If you are able to do more things, you're a little bit more hireable. Um, But I also find that um, as a student explores more types of singing, um, they can find more of who they are and where they fit, find more options, find what feels like home. Um, and And we also talk a lot about vocal flexibility and how that is really where artistry comes into play when you're singing. And that's what we all want to be when we're professional singers. We want to be artists. Mm -hmm. I think too, it's especially in contemporary singing and even musical theater singing, which is kind of our main specialty. The, the genre is really flexible in what we allow. It is not just high larynx. It is not just low larynx. It is not just high soft palate. It's not just low soft palate. Our students want to be able to do all of those things and choose those kind of pieces as they put together material and put together songs. So they can go from singing in Oklahoma one night and going to sing in Hadestown the next night, or they can sing, you know, a folk cover and then go right to singing an 80s rock cover and kind of see what variables they want to add and take away. So being super flexible with the genres that they train with, Mm. their technique, means that they're going to be very flexible in the way that they approach material. 
Mm. And as you've highlighted there in musical theatre specifically, it covers so much, doesn't it? You've got the golden age and the operettas, the Gilbert and Sullivan type stuff, and then right through to contemporary jukebox and, and pop stuff like Anne Juliet and Six. But I find, I don't know about you guys, but I find that singers tend to have a strong dislike towards the more legit, or as you like to call it, the lofty requirement that the likes of Rodgers and Hammerstein are going to ask of us. So how do you approach bringing those singers on board and allowing them or helping them to embrace that requirement and that style? I think for me, uh, I currently work at Berkeley College of Music and I have like 17 students who are all going to be like recording artists. They have no interest in singing legit music at all. And it's one of the requirements um, for their uh, first semester as freshmen. Um, and so one of the things I did was really talk to them about what, um, what type of subject matter that they can connect to in the material, making sure that the repertoire that we're picking for them is not only appropriate for their um, circumstances and their life experience, but also something that they can connect to. So, you know, if they can't connect to Carmel Ben, maybe they can connect to Many a New Day. You know what I mean? And we can still learn all of the lofty technical um, things on an older piece as well. So I think for me, it's a lot about connecting with the students what they want to do, who they are as people, um, and kind of going that way in, um, and giving them freedom in the material to have um, have a little bit of agency in the choices they make. So, you know, maybe once we get up to, you know, a soprano second passaggio, I'm like, we're going to add a little bit of, you know, soft palate lift, right? But in the middle voice, maybe we're doing a little bit more speech-based Maybe it's a little less of that lofty sound, something that's going to be a little closer to what they're using in their contemporary singing. So the material can also be flexible to what they want to do. Mm. Yeah, and I, I also think it's important to um, meet the student again where they're at um, and take what their experience is and maybe start with a song that has a little bit more of what feels like home to them. So find a golden age piece that has a lot of chest voice in it, if that's what they're used to, with some excursion above the passaggio at first, um, so that they, it doesn't feel so foreign to them when you're beginning, because I think that's what can be scary a lot of the time, is it just feels so different from anything they're used to. And if they're coming in as an elite singer, and you're asking them to do something that they're not good at, mm. of course they're not going to want to do it. Um, so finding a way to take what they're good at and do that in the material, then they feel more successful um, and they're going to be more comfortable pushing that boundary farther and farther. You don't want to jump too far too soon. Um, and I also will talk with them about the specific benefits of what we're doing. Um, if we're working on balancing register, like there's a reason that we're working on this song. This song is what we need to do because it's the medicine you need for the particular vocal struggles that you have. Mm. Yes, being, I love that point. Like being so clear with the student about why we're doing what we're doing. So there is no mysteries. There's no like behind the scenes. We're working on this song because I have this technical goal for you because you have a goal that you want to meet. And together we're gonna to meet this goal using this repertoire. Mm. And I think being super clear with your student about why is gonna help bring them in because they have goals they wanna meet and connecting those two dots. That was such a good point, Cassie. Yeah. 
Yeah, round of applause to you, Cassie. Love it. <laughs> I remember speaking with um, Amelia Carr, Curly Coach. I don't know if you've come across her work before. And she said similar things about starting a student somewhere that feels a little bit like home. So maybe going more towards contemporary legit and introducing things that are just a little, you know, down the garden path rather than being so far away down like the meadow and at the end of the field. I, lo I love my analogies. <laughs> um, and also something that I've found just like a little bit of fun sometimes is taking the song that they really love. So at the moment, it seems to be quite like six heavy and saying, well, you can totally sing it in this way. How would you do that in a lofty, legit way, even though it's going to be completely inappropriate for that, but showing them that they can kind of change the way they're doing stuff and even in a song that they love. Yeah, that's a good idea too. Yeah, I think too, and that even introduces something that I want to say too, is which is play. Mm -hmm. Having it not be some scary sound that's on a pedestal. You know what I mean? A lot. My students don't want to be lofty singers. They don't want to be, most of my students don't want to be opera singers, right? I do so much play in my studio. My students are like always like, oh my God, what is he going to make me do next? <laughs> but I have them like make monkey sounds. <laughs> Right? Get that soft palate to lift, get that feeling of that lofty sound, bounce it with your pelvic floor. Why not? You know what I mean? And how can we, I make them do crazy, I make them count to five as a crazy opera singer or a ghost. One, two. Just see how flexible can things be? And then it doesn't seem so scary to them. It's fun, it's playful. And then when you're like, well, let's sing this song from Styx, let's sing Heart of Stone, but let's do it as that ghost character and see what works, what adds to what you're already doing just through play. How would you then take that imitation or that playful sound and make it into something more finished? Sure, I think it's about talking I always try to connect it to what we're doing. So usually if I'm doing like that, that ghost, right? That one, two, that's all about like ease of breath control, balancing registration, right? I connect those dots for them. So I say in this song, we're kind of looking for a little bit of a little bit less subletic pressure, maybe at this moment, maybe a little bit more freedom in our breathing mechanism. So we're gonna play with this and then we're just gonna see how we can apply that to the material. So we might even go through the song on that. We might even do many and who would right? And see how that connects and then do it without and see what we've learned from it. See if they can connect the dots in their own somatic experience of what it felt like. The other tool I use when I'm start with a playful thing like that is I play with um, scale. And so we start doing that on a five in the most extreme um, way. And then we dial it back and dial it back and dial it back till it's just a one. Um, and another analogy I'll use is like the amount of um, lime that's actually in a LaCroix when you drink that, like that's how much we're gonna end up, but it starts as like limeade and we're gonna end with lime LaCroix. <laughs> What's a lime LaCroix? <laughs> oh, it's um, a seltzer that just has like the hint of flavor, um, just a tiny bit essence of lime without being like a lime beverage. Is it alcoholic? 
No. Oh, then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be better if there was alcohol for sure. <laughs> alcohol. And we'll reach out. We'll let them know. Yeah, thank you. If you get the recipe, if we find out a way to it, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> um, so, Cassie, what would be your kind of top tip when you're helping somebody to navigate between these genres? So, if they're singing something lofty and then later they have to sing something maybe a bit poppy belty, how would you help them navigate that? So I, I think uh, I come back to demystifying what we're doing for the singer. So when we are switching genre in a quick, um, in quick succession, I will be like, okay, so when we're going into this lofty piece, what are the main tenets that we think about when we do that? Are we, we're thinking about breath flow, we're thinking about um, raised soft palate, tall vowels, all of these things. And then we take a second once that song is over and we go through what the main tenets of the pop rock song that we're singing after are. We're doing glottal onsets. We're incorporating vocal fry. Breaths are going to be a little bit smaller, more speech-like vowel placement. And I will have set up a vocabulary with that individual student about what that feels like for them as well, their specific cues that make sense to them. Um, and we'll talk about those things too. Um, so if it feels like a particular character to them, we'll bring that up in that moment so that we can just take a moment and be like, okay, reset. What is this that we're about to do before we go in? Hmm. And how about you, William? What's your top tip about changing in quick succession? Yeah, I think I'm going to say two. Uh, I know you asked for one, but I could write a book on having a flexible breathing strategy. That is something that is so important, especially for contemporary singers and musical theater singers. The demand, the vocal demands for breath, the breath demands change so much and vary so much between uh, contemporary singing. Phrase length can be super long. We've seen those TikTok challenges where people do that one breath cycle and they're going on for like 90 seconds without breathing. Um, and we also have a lot, very short phrases, you know what I mean? Um, so they need to have a flexible breathing strategy so they're not over breathing for those short phrases and they can feel expansion when they need to manage longer phrases. Right, like um, the Kristen Linklater quote, uh, breath equal to thought. Yes. I don't have it exactly right, but it ha it's she always talks about taking the breath that is equal to the thought of the phrase that you're about to say, um, which I think applies perfectly there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we also have a big variance in you know, the amount of uh, chest voice, head voice, registration, subclotic pressure. So they need to have a flexible breathing strategy that also matches the flexibility of the vocal load and the vocal demands per each genre. The other thing I'm going to say, I think it's super important that we always start from a place of speech. The students need to sound like themselves in every genre. Mm -hmm. It is useless to them if they sound like Mariah Carey in pop music and you know, Kelly O'Hara singing something. I wouldn't say it's useless. I, I would say like, that's a different thing than what we're talking about. And it's a vocal impression, which is a very useful skill. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're trying to be their own artist, uh, you're right that it's not helpful for that. Sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, imitation is actually super important in learning how to sing. And we know that most of 
a lot of voice teaching is uh, call and response, right? So a student's ability to mimic and have impressions is super important. But having the base of each genre be in their speaking voice and have it sound like them in lofty singing and in contemporary singing kind of gives them a neutral place to start from when they want to build what they want to do in each of those kind of genres. Mm. Yeah, I love that. The neutral voice, finding out what feels the most authentic and real. And then what do we add or subtract from that to get to specific genres? How do you do that with something that is really far away from where you feel yourself to be in a genre? It's difficult. Um, it, I struggle with this with a lot of students. In fact, it goes, of course, in both directions. I have some students that come in and they are super used to lofty sounds. And then if I'm trying to get them to sing a country song um, with a lot of yodel in it, it can be really uncomfortable and feel very false at mm. first. Um, but usually my number one piece of advice there is listen to more of the genre. Listen to the great people who sang in that genre. The first people that come up on Spotify mm. when you look up country music or whatever genre we're talking about and listen to them, see what they do and mimic them a little bit see and see what of those things feels like it could be authentic to you mm. and you're not going to do all of them and you're going to pick and choose from the different artists what feels right for you um, but really listening to the people who are the best at it mm. and taking what what they do and what feels you'll figure out what country music actually is in that way mm. and what you in country music could be like if you just spend a little bit of time with the genre. It takes a little bit of homework. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't know what it actu actually is, of course you're gonna feel uncomfortable. Mm. And it's also listening with different ears, isn't it? Because I don't know about, about you both, but when I first started studying voice a little bit more from a coach point of view, I just could pick out way more things than when I listened as a singer or as just a normal person enjoying music. And now it's really hard to go and watch a performance without like listening in a different way. So I know with my students, if I give them a task to go and listen to something, they can now start to pick out, oh yeah, Brittany does a lot of vocal fryer to onset her sounds or, or oh, she's doing a, an offset there it's because we're studying it in a different way. So I really like that, that listening task. And what would you say with somebody who at the beginning we, we were keeping it all student centered so if somebody is a folky singer and that's their identity we want to follow that and and help them be as enhanced in that way as possible how can we ensure that they still get a really balanced voice so that they get that stretch up into their higher range or they get that really adducted chest all the way through to that that end barrier how can we ensure that we get that into the training without them losing who they are yeah i think we're also really passionate about the fact that vocal function training is genreless hmm. so all singers need to practice stretching their chords they need to practice balancing registration there is no um, genre that doesn't require you to have a understanding of your voice and your technique. And there's no genre that does it better than other genres. Um, that's really important to us. So if a folk singer came into me and they 
you know, I would, you know, start like I would start every student listening to what's going on, but also always stretching the voice. There's no student we shouldn't be stretching the voice to see what it can do. There's no student who we should be working on moving through different passagios and different, you know, um, different, uh, the flex of the soft palate and the raise of the soft palate. Every student, regardless of genre, should be able to do all the things. Um, and it's going back to that flexible technique and making sure that our vocal training for all students remains flexible. We're not training one um, one specific aesthetic into a student's voice, unless that's what they'd like to do, which is also perfectly acceptable. As a voice teacher, I'm interested in making sure all of my students have all of the options. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me that they come in as a specific genre singer. They're going to get the same training that is curtailed to their voice specifically and making sure that their voice functions at it is at its best. Mm. I also think um, even within folk music, there is a huge array of repertoire. So they might come in with some repertoire that has a pretty limited range or very specifically low, but then I would try to find folk music that does the technical things that I am thinking for that person would be helpful. I don't, I don't think everyone needs to specifically cross genre train unless it's something that they're interested in mm. or depending on the career path that they want to do. I think you can get the functional training you want without it. Does it benefit people? Absolutely. Do I see students come into their own and their original genre and maybe even get more specific after they cross genre train? Definitely. But can we get there other ways? Also, yes. Mm. So what's the actual relationship then between cross genre training and vocal function? And we might just want to touch upon what vocal function approach actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> so it's a big question. It is a big question. We, um, we just made a post about it recently and we kind of define vocal function as just like how the voice works. The actual, it's in the words, the, the function of the voice. So that is, you know, the vocal cords stretch, that is laryngeal tilt, that is, you know, the thickness and the thinness of the vocal cords, that is all of the variables that produce sound, breath, right? And how those variables add up together. Yeah, I think I would say, I'm not gonna speak for Cassie on this, um, but <laughs> I would say that if we're thinking about cross-genre training, including all of the variables that the voice can do from all genres, then I would say that it is not different from voice function training. Training that is helping you use your voice functionally the best it can be. Because if we're not limiting the scope of what we're teaching students, then yes, that is that is uh, that is genreless. Then that is also cross genre because it's including all genres. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I also think sometimes when we think about cross genre, we think that you have to change genre in order to do that, and vocal function applies regardless of genre. Mm -hmm. So I think they are always linked, but although not necessarily the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I don't think that you have to be a musical theater singer who uh, started with a Western classical technique, nor do I think that it is necessary at any point in your training, as long as your voice teacher has an understanding of vocal function 
and can help you make all the sounds that you need and want to make. Mm, mm. And can I be really cheeky and ask for a demonstration if it's not too early? Pull the straws out of the bag and get you a um, Just to kind of hear mm-hmm. how you go about changing, only because I've heard a rumor that you're really good at this. <laughs> the no pressure, guys. <laughs> Um, so I'll start in the original genre. When will I see you again? I we no goodbye, not a single word we say. No final kiss to see you say Of the stay Let's stop there. So, original genre. And if I change. I'm doing this blind. Oh, with no glasses. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good for no glasses. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I'm just going to do it in a lofty way, and then we can talk about. What I changed that. Sounds cute. When will I see you again? You left with no goodbye, not a single word was said. No final kiss to see. It's just, for me, knowing the base of my voice, what feels authentic, my speech connection. And then from there, most of it is vocal tract shaping, Mm -hmm. um, where there's just like a little bit more twang, a little bit more speech-like vowels in the contemporary most of the time. and then just a little bit taller, loftier space on the the loftier sound. And um, obviously there's also breath flow versus pressure, balance, things that are happening. And then the other big thing is onset offset phrasing Mm -hmm. um, is gonna be super different between the two. Mm -hmm. And William, do you kind of, show your singers do you have like a checklist for them of like when you're being lofty these are the kind of things you want to be hitting and when you're being contemporary these are the sort of things we're going to be hitting do you give them that kind of visual checklist i think that um in lofty singing there is a checklist right Mm -hmm. there is we have over 400 years of pedagogy agreed on kind of a checklist of what we're looking for right Mm -hmm. Um, we're looking for line, we're looking for consistency of breath movement, we're looking for, you know. Um, and I think that 
we can get a little bit tripped up in defining contemporary and musical theater singing by putting a checklist on it. Mm. I think there are things that my students, things that I want to make sure that they're doing in contemporary singing is more like, are you playing with the rhythm? Do you know why you're singing this? Mm. Those things are on my checklist, those variables, but they can sing, you know, Hozier sings with a, a low laryngeal position. Yeah. That's not, that's not, not. We can't say that pop music always anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it gives you just a little bit more like freedom of choice, doesn't it? Um, and a lot of the time you're being driven by your intention of story and what you're trying to impact on the recipient of your, of your piece. Um, and just speaking about breath for a second, I know that you did a, a presentation on this, didn't you, William, recently? I did, um, yes. For the, for the more lofty singing, how do you help singers to manage their breath better than when they come from contemporary? Because I don't know about you, but in my experience, I've seen that legit or lofty singing tends to get people a little bit stuck in the breath mechanism. Um, yeah, so I think um, that we kind of have agreed again over this 400 years of pedagogy that there are certain things that we're looking for in, in a breath, breath management, right? We want expansion of the ribs, possibly suspension of the ribs, and a free and loose abdominal um, musculature. I think in contemporary singing, we're not always allowed those things. When Mm -hmm. musical theater singers have to dance on stage at the same time as they're singing, contemporary singers pink gets thrown around uh, like as an aerialist and is singing the whole time. She is not... um, allowed a free and flexible rib cage. She is not allowed a free abdominal musculature. She would hurt herself if she let go of her abs when she was 100 feet up in the air above a huge crowd. So I think for me, it comes down to helping the student find expansion where they are allowed to have it in that moment. So having a flexibility of expansion, they need to, I would like them to be able to expand in their ribs when they're allowed to, in their abdomen, when they're allowed to, but also in their upper back, in their lower back, in their side body. I'm really big on making sure people are tuned into their pelvic floor. Our pelvic floor is part of the diaphragm system. Our soft palate, which stacks above our diaphragm, which stacks above our pelvic floor, they all work in tandem to kind of control our breathing mechanism. Um, And I think the thing that I most often see is people are out of touch with kind of allowing that pelvic floor to release down and catch the momentum of the diaphragm. And so this movement, the up and down movement of the breath is more important to me than kind of an outward or forward and back movement of Mm -hmm. expansion. And I think as long as we are giving our students permission to, because everybody is different, everybody will breathe different, no matter what it looks like. There are no bigger bodies breathe one way, little bodies breathe one way, that is not true because the way that they have walked through the world has determined the way that they breathe and the way that they move. And we need to allow them to live in that natural place while showing them where they can expand, where they can find room for that viscera to displace, for that diaphragm to sink down. Mm. It comes back to honoring the student in front of you. Mm -hmm. Always. Always. You can't know before looking at them what their breathing is going to be and what they need. yeah. And hilariously, as you just started talking about that, I just started doing my Kegel exercises, my little <laughs> <pelvic floor. laughs> 
<laughs> so I was like, this is the perfect time to practice that. Yeah, I haven't found a I haven't found a super appropriate way to be like, can you like lift and drop your soft pellet, please? Can you or soft pellet your pelvic floor? You know those muscles that you stop peeing with. Can you just like pick that up and let it go? I'm trying to find a cute way of like <laughs> a very consent friendly way of talking about people's um, urination habits and their. Well, you can link floor. it with your your drink earlier. Hold in your what was it? I think as long as you as a teacher remain flexible with your aesthetic, because we all have aesthetic biases. I know I do. I love 2000s bubblegum pop and I want everyone to sound that way. No, but you know what I mean? That's I have an I have an aesthetic bias there and I have to match. Not really. Okay, I shouldn't say that, but you know, I have to, I have to, in every lesson, make sure that I am honoring what the student's aesthetic is and what they want and making sure that what I'm offering them always goes towards their goals. And so that it's always based in voice function and not on the genre aesthetics that I prefer. Giving the student autonomy in their lesson can be super empowering and coming back to what I said at the very beginning, makes them feel like an artist. And that's like one of the most important things we want to impart on our students is them feeling creative and like artists, like they're doing something special. And so giving them choice within it, I think is just super, super important. Mm, mm, Amazing. And you are both great friends, aren't you? And together you have launched this social media campaign with the Voice Collective um, to help provide information to singers everywhere, to make it really accessible and digestible. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going and where we can follow that? Yeah, so um, our, our mission at the Voice Collective is providing collaborative, empowering, elite voice training to singers everywhere. And it's really about helping them find joy in their singing. Um, we find a lot of the, the singers that are in our studios, especially those who are professional and have been through training programs, a lot of them get burnt out. And when you are, when what used to be the thing that brought you joy becomes your job, it's really hard to find what you used to like about it. And so it's really important for us that we focus and center everything on finding joy within singing. Um, Cause that's the reason we all started because we liked it. Um, and uh, so our campaign is about making that accessible to everyone. Um, so giving information in very clear, um, as you said, digestible um, ways and, you know, there's a lot of misinformation on social media. And we were, we've also talked a lot about how we have students coming in and being like, on TikTok, I saw Blast. So that must be true about me. Um, so we're, we're, it's important to us that there's a lot more information about there to see what does apply to you mm-hmm. on those TikToks that they might be seeing, providing a little bit more context for the things that our students are seeing, um, just to get a little bit more positive, good information um, out there. Yeah. I think too, a big part of our mission, which Cassie touched on a little bit, is really focused on something that's really close to us, which is empowering our students to think beyond what they think that their limits are, Mm -hmm. right? I've spent a lot of time in my training, um, having a lot of people tell me what my limits were, and they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And I spend most of, I would say, 
all of my students, I spend a long time trying to convince them that their limits are so much bigger than what they have imagined for themselves. Mm. I have a student right now who came in, she's singing Wish you were, Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. That's her lofty piece for the semester. Mm. And she, um, she told me yesterday, she's like, I thought when you gave this to me, I would never be able to sing it. I thought there was no chance. I thought I was going to be a fool. You were gonna make a fool of me. And she said, now I love this song. I love doing it. And you have convinced me that it is within my wheelhouse. And it's just sometimes sitting someone down and saying, I know you can't see this for you right now, but I promise you, we can. And we want to build a place where artists feel it, that it is safe to come and say, you know what, I think that I can do more than I've been told. Mm. And I think maybe if there was a safe place to have that conversation, maybe I could grow more. Mm. And I think that's, that's really at the heart of the Voice Collective. Yeah. Um, and everything else is kind of our way of empowering artists to believe in themselves and to um, to know what is happening and have autonomy in their voice trainings and in their artistry. Yeah. And so we're both on TikTok and Instagram. Both are at voice.collective. Um, and that's where you can find us. Mm-hmm. And is that where people can come and drop their questions and get in touch with you? Yes. 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 It would be, we are, we would love to answer your DMs. We're launching a website next year. Um, but right now we're on Instagram, voice.collective and TikTok, voice.collective. Please send us messages, send us anything. We'd love to connect with you. Amazing. Oh, it's been such a joy to be with you. I've loved it. Thank you so much for having a fun conversation and for your beautiful demonstration, Cassie. Thank you. And um, I can't wait to see what more you come up with. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been a blast. A vast blast. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.